Good evening. Hi, I'm Faith. I'm one of the team here at Central. What an evening. I wasn't expecting baptisms. That was an unexpected delight. And you know, it was wonderful to see two young men getting baptized and standing up and speaking about what it meant to grow up in a family with faith and to have people of faith influencing them. And it's a gift to me because what I'm going to speak about tonight is legacy. We've come through a series recently in the book of Acts, and tonight we've come to the last chapter, and therefore the end of the series. And we're coming to the end of Paul's life. And we're going to look at a few things tonight, but one of the things we're going to be thinking about is what it means to run your race well, to live your life to the max in the style of the Alpha video, and to leave a legacy. So we're going to start by reading Acts chapter 28, and I'm going to start in verse 14 and read down to the end. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius in the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they dissembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not want to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you, because it is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And they replied, we've not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who've come from there has reported anything bad about you, so we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. And they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. And he witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. Their ears hear, sorry, they hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So, as we've been journeying through the book of Acts this summer, one of the things that I have seen is Acts 
is the story of a group of people, just like the people in this church, trying to figure out how do we follow Jesus and what does it mean to be church. And therefore the book of Acts is just as relevant today as it was to the people 2,000 years ago because we're all just figuring it out. And if you're visiting this church for the first time and you see any flaws, good, because that's the real us. Anything that looks slick, that's not the real us because we're just figuring things out. But some of it isn't all that difficult to figure out. Jesus taught one thing very clearly, that the most important thing we do is love. Jesus said that the whole law, all the itty bitty laws in the Old Testament could be summarized in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love others, your neighbors, as you love yourself. Jesus said, love God with everything you've got. Love yourself. That'll be a tall order for some of us, but you know, it becomes a lot easier when you understand what God thinks about you. Love yourself and then, of course, you have the capacity to love other people. And I've only been part of this church a few years and I've been part of other churches over the years. And one of the joys is to see how people who love God and know how loved they are by him love the places where they are. And I know in this church, we are loving Edinburgh in all sorts of ways, running food banks and helping people get out of debt, opening up our homes and our dinner tables, adopting, fostering, mentoring teenagers. We're in our schools, in our universities, in our workplaces, in our businesses, and in our friend groups, showing people as best we can what Jesus looks like. Because people are not going to come to the Bible first. Normally they're going to come and they're going to look at our life. Just like David's friends looked at his life. And they must have seen just enough that they were interested enough to come to Alpha. Maybe they saw lots, David. Maybe that's unfair. But you know, Acts is not meant to be a historical record only. And Acts is not meant to be some kind of blueprint, I believe, for church that we're meant to copy word for word. Acts is meant to provoke us to follow Jesus and to work out what should church look like where I live. Church is not meant to look for us like it did for Jewish believers 2,000 years ago. It's not even meant to look the same here as it's meant to look in France or in South Africa or in Ghana what is church going to look like? What does loving people look like in different places? So I wanted to share some stories from my missional community. I'm part of a a community where we are following Jesus, loving each other as best we can, falling in after we fall out, that's what I call it, and loving the people around about us. And I, I asked some of the folk for a little bit of story to tell you. And ask them two questions. How has following Jesus changed your life? And what does being part of this community mean to you? Would you like to hear what they said? Yeah, Becky's nodding, thank you. Right, for Becky. Kate said, following Jesus has meant my life has meaning. Knowing that life isn't all about me. It's given me purpose and fulfillment. It's helped me tackle life's problems with a peace and reassurance that God is for me. Being part of the community has its challenges like any family, 
but doing life with like-minded people is so exciting and fulfilling. Michelle said, following Jesus is the best decision I ever made. He's always there for me through good times and bad. I know I'm never alone. I've only been part of the community for a short while and the friendship I felt when I arrived was incredible. Lynn said, life before Jesus was unbearable. It was very dark with things that shouldn't even be in nightmares. Holding Jesus' hand and the hands of the women in my community who fought with me enabled me to walk into a life of freedom, a life I couldn't even imagine having. It's not straightforward or easy, but it's my life in Christ, and I'm so grateful. And lastly, Jackie. Jackie said, following Jesus literally saved my life. I was so close to giving up that I prayed to die. Jesus has transformed me and my life, and my community is my second home. It's a real family connected by Jesus Christ. I have real friends that I never had. I thank God that he's done so much for me and my faith and hope and strength are in him. Wow. Those are amazing stories, aren't they? But you know, if we could get into a little time box and go back 2,000 years and I could text some of the people in Paul's churches, they'd have similar stories. This is what happens when people follow Jesus. And this is what happens when people live in community with each other. Their lives are transformed and they belong. And so today we've come to Acts 27. And it's not only the the end of the book of Acts, but it's also Paul coming to the end of his life. And what a life. If you've never read the book of Acts, you absolutely have to. Get a, a modern version so kind of old language doesn't cloud it up. Paul is outrageous. He's never cautious. He's never subtle. Everything he writes, everything that's written about him, what you see is this passionate, reckless man. But he's all out. And he starts his life as a, a passionate Jew. He becomes a passionate hater of Christians. Then he encounters Jesus Christ and his life literally turns around 180 degrees and he becomes a passionate Christian. Then a passionate church planter and a passionate mentor. He never does things in house. But by this point, at the end of his life, he could very justifiably be a grumpy old man. I have to say that most men cannot justify being a grumpy old man, in my opinion. But if anybody could have, it would have been Paul. He'd been mocked, beaten, stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked, unjustly imprisoned many times. And now, at the end of his life, he's coming to Rome, not as a free man, but as a prisoner, to live under house arrest, completely unfairly. And to cap it all, when you read his letter to the people in Corinth... He tells them, I've got this thing. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is, but it can't be good, can it? Have you ever had like a little splinter? A thorn in your flesh is not a good thing. And it says, I asked God three times if he'd take it away. And God said, "Eh, no. So Paul's life is not 
necessarily been easy. I have a very wise person in my life who is my spiritual director. I was with her last week and she said, nodded to me wisely and said, Faith, suffering and blessing go together. And I thought, that's not what I want to hear. That is not what I want to hear. I think as Westerners, we are not equipped for that message. We don't really welcome that. We look for shortcuts, immediate answers, and an easy life. And um, that's not what God promises. You see, what God is doing in you is so much greater than giving you the thing that you would like today to make your life easier today. God doesn't just give us everything we want to make life nice. God is building something in to each one of us that is meant to impact the world for centuries to come. Which is why it was so brilliant to hear Freddie and David standing up tonight. And when I hear your stories, what I hear is the beginning of a long story. And there will literally be dozens and dozens of people who will stand in buildings like this over the years and you will be the people that they are talking about. That is how it works. And really the message of Paul's life is trust God, pursue the dreams he gives you, celebrate every good thing, endure the difficult times and the character of Christ will slowly and often quite painfully be worked into your life. And Paul's last place in Acts 27 is not a glamorous one. He is allowed to live in his own accommodation, but it says that he has a Roman guard. And I looked up what that would mean, and apparently it meant that a guard, a Roman soldier, would literally be chained to his right hand. Now, for those of you who value your own personal space, just think for a moment what it would be like to be chained. I don't mean like married to somebody you quite like. I mean chained to a Roman soldier. And I, I don't know where your brain goes, but my brain immediately thinks, I wonder if they slept in the same bed together. Like, did he get unchained to go to the toilet? That's what I think. I don't know. But it wasn't easy or comfortable. And so what did Paul do? Paul continued to do what he had done for years and years. Follow Jesus and love people. And so he gets in contact with the local Jewish synagogue because he himself had a Jewish background and he invites them round because obviously he can't go out because he's under house arrest with the Roman guard chained to him. And he invites them round and then they come back with some pals. And it says that Paul sits with this room full of Jewish people. This man with years and years experience and wisdom of following Jesus. And he shares with them all about the kingdom of God and all about who Jesus is from morning till evening. I don't know about you, but I know lots of people who would pay serious money for a day like that. Imagine Paul's stories by this point in his life. And yet, the response is the same as it always is. Some believe and some don't. And you can hear some of the frustration in what Paul says to the ones who don't believe. He kind of quotes the Bible at them and says, basically, you refuse to listen and you refuse to see and your hearts are hard. And it says they start to leave. (laughs) which is fair enough. Maybe he was tired. I don't know. I guess he's older. 
There is a lot of evidence that the book of the Philippians, book to the Philippians, was written at this point in Paul's life. And if you've read that letter, you'll see some of the depth of wisdom and experience in it. Here is something that Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians. This is in the message translation. I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I would love to believe that by the end of my life, I could say this and mean it. At the moment, I can just read it out of the Bible. If you can say it and mean it, I want to meet with you. It's awesome. So thinking about Paul now, at that place in his life, imagine the legacy that Paul leaves. When we use the word legacy, we often mean money and and things, the things that people have accumulated during their life that they pass on to usually their children. But our material possessions are hardly a measure of somebody's life, are they? Well, maybe some of you more than me, but uh, I hope when I get to the end of my life, that's not all that relevant. I'm, I'm banking on that. But our legacy is what we leave behind. It's not really things, it's people. It's the people that your life has made an impact on. That's where you leave your legacy. It was so interesting, Freddie, you said, basically you spoke about all the people that had been on your path. That's what a Christian life should be full of. And the great thing about legacy is it accumulates and it cascades down through generations. A person's legacy can literally change history. And we know the names of some of the people who Paul made an impact on. People like Barnabas, people like Timothy, Silas, even John Mark, Aquila, Priscilla. And then there would be hundreds and hundreds whose names we don't know. And the Apostle Paul, he invested in them. In those last two years... It says that although he was under house arrest, people were welcome to visit him and he was allowed to share his faith freely. Can you imagine, even in the last two years, how many hundreds and hundreds of people had the same experience that Paul had on the road to Damascus, a life-changing encounter with Christ? Brilliant. And you know, preparing for this got me thinking about legacy, obviously. And it got me thinking about the people in my life. And I just think I wouldn't be who I am today without numerous people. So I put some of them, you may get their photo. It could happen. But the first one, if she comes up, you'll know immediately who she is because we're quite similar and that's my mum. And my mum taught me, there she is, It was the 80s, by the way. That's why she's dressed like that. It's not a fancy dress. It it was the real 80s. My mom taught me what it was to be a strong woman, to stand up for what you believe in, and to speak out for people who can't speak for themselves. 
There were two things that were always true about my mum. She was always on a mission and she was always in trouble. I don't know if that's true about me the whole time, but it's certainly true some of the time. And I vividly remember, I was about 12 years old and um, we lived in a big house with a big front garden and the path came down. And we were having this party for my little sister. And at the end of the party, you remember how it goes, all the mums and dads come and pick up the pals. So all the mums and dads are coming and everybody's out the front. And at this point, my mum's current mission um, was at that point, this is the 1970s by the way, I am a lot older than I look, um, and at that point in hospitals, in children's wards, there were no toys allowed, apparently. Parents visiting was incredibly restricted and siblings weren't allowed to visit. So my mum's campaign, and she had various pals on the campaign, was they were like bombarding the local hospital in lots of ways and saying, we need toys. It, children need to play. It's a better healing environment if they play. We need parents to have more access to hospitals. Siblings have to be allowed to visit, especially for long-stay patients. So this was my mum's campaign. What's that got to do with the party? Well, so we're at the party... And then all of a sudden comes this chap. Now, I didn't know this, but he was apparently one of the senior consultants in Perth Royal Infirmary. And he comes down the path in front of everybody and all the kids and all the mums and all the dads. And he decides that this is the moment to let my mum know exactly what he thinks about toys in children's wards and parents under the feet of the consultants and so on. So he doesn't exactly shout, but he doesn't not shout. He sort of booms at my mother. <laughs> so he booms at her about ridiculous notions and toys and da da da. And I'm watching my mum, and I'll never forget this, because my mum's about my height without the heels, only about five foot. And she draws herself up, and she absolutely goes for him and tells him exactly what she thinks of him. And she stands her ground. And I don't know if that was the best way to do that. But as I watched my mum, I learned what it was to be a voice for the people who didn't have a voice. And any time I ever took my kids into sick kids, I would always smile because I would look at the murals on the wall and all the toys and the activities and the play schedule and the parents and the beds for the parents so they could stay overnight. And I would smile and I would think of my mum standing on the front lawn yelling <laughs> at poor Mr. Consultant. Obviously, you shouldn't yell at people to get your own way, but, you know. But I received a legacy I received so much from her. That woman in the middle, some of you may recognize, her name's Andrea Wigglesworth. And when I was a very young Christian, I saw her speak and I was amazed. And she was the first woman I saw who showed me what it looked like to stand up as a follower of Jesus and show the world who you were. What it looked like to walk in freedom and not be afraid. And as the years went on, I got to know her better. And um, quite a few years later, she became my mentor. And she taught me not to limit myself, but to absolutely go for everything that God had made me to be. And I used to go and visit her every couple of months. And I would always leave a bit shaken, really encouraged and very challenged. And when someone is leaving a legacy, when they're investing in your life, it's not just a pal patting you on the back and saying that was great. It's someone who's brave enough to both champion and challenge you. 
And then you might recognize some of those people over on the right. And they are people, some for just a few years and some for many years, who have been my champions, but who've also had the courage at times to challenge me. Faith, we think you've got more. Faith, we think that was too much. Um, You need those people in your life. And I realized that I had an awful lot to be thankful for. And I also realized that the challenge for me is to take everything that all these people have invested in me and to be a person who gives their life to investing in others. Because that is the way that Jesus did it. You see, the thing about Paul was he wasn't just like a great guy, an outstanding guy. No one was like him. Paul was a disciple of Jesus. Disciple just means a learner, a follower. And he made disciples. And those disciples made disciples. And those disciples made disciples. And most of us don't have a Jewish background. So we are actually part of Paul's legacy to the non-Jewish world. And Jesus calls us to do this. Simply go and make disciples. Of all nations, you get to pick. Go and make disciples. Go and show the world what it looks like to follow me. Go and love them and let them learn from you. So, if that was your PowerPoint slide up there, who would be on it? Who has invested in your life? Family, teachers, friends, people? who've been put in your life, who've championed you and challenged you. Who are those people? We're going to take a moment tonight to stop and just be really thankful. Sometimes it's easy to forget, because it was years ago, forget what people have done. Who are those people that, as Freddie said, God has put in our path? And then there's the challenge. Who are we investing our lives in? I don't mean just like running a wee discipleship course for five weeks. Whose lives are we actually actively investing in? We love them enough to both champion them and to challenge them. And if you don't have enough people like that in your life, if you're sitting thinking, I'm not sure I have anyone like that. She's got like a whole board of them. That's so unfair. Top tip, I'm 20 years old, I met someone, she said, oh, da-da-da, discipleship. I said, oh, I don't think anyone's discipled me. And she said, well, you better start praying then. That's it, top tip. Ask and you'll receive. I'm serious, just pray. (coughs) God set up this process of discipleship so it's a completely valid thing to say, God, would you send into my life the people that I need to champion me, to challenge me, to take me on? So what we're going to do now is we're going to go back into worship. (coughs) Sorry, I'm having a major major building project in my house and it results in a bit of a sort of dusty cough. Yeah, some of you are nodding in empathy. Okay. (laughs) It's always best when it's in front of 300 people. (coughs) So, So we're going to take a moment in worship to remember the people who've invested in us, to be thankful. And we're going to take a moment to ask God for what we need. If you have everyone you need, just be really thankful. But if you know that you need more investment, ask God. 
And if you're also challenged because you honestly know you're not really investing your life intentionally in anyone, just a bit here and a bit there, but you couldn't name people who you're going out of your way to invest in, it's a good moment to get before God and say, God, who do you want me to invest my life in? And we're going to have a ministry team over here. And for some of you, just having someone pray alongside you would be absolutely brilliant. For some of you, you're really encouraged by tonight, but one or two of you might be feeling a little sore for whatever reason. Or maybe you're just, life's treating you hard at the moment. Make the most of getting prayer from the ministry team. So let's stand and I'm going to pray for us. I think I'm over needing to cough now. It's good. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the faces on our own PowerPoint slide. For the men and women who have loved us and invested in us, encouraged us and challenged us to be everything that you made us to be. God, would you help us tonight to remember those people, to see the people who were in our path. And Lord, we accept your challenge to not only be people who are invested in, but to be people who go on to invest in others. And we ask you tonight to open our eyes and show us where should we be investing more? Who should we be pouring our life into? How do we build the legacy that you want us to build? And we come before you, Lord, and surrender our lives and say, God, we don't want just everything to be happy every single minute. We want to live lives that are worth living. We want the character of Jesus formed in us. We want to live a life like the Apostle Paul that makes an impact that lasts for centuries and millennia. Amen.